This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the last day of June. We're already uh, over halfway through the year, and uh, it's going to be a beautiful day down here in the southeast. Hope it is nice where you are. Hope it is not too warm. Lots to get to this morning. A lot of baseball action last night, Um, but I'm going to start... Uh, talking this morning about, uh, well, we've talked several times about that LIV golf tour. And um, their their first event in the United States begins today in North Plains, Oregon. That's about uh, 20 miles west of Portland. And at the event today, there is a group of families who lost people during the 9-11 terrorist attacks in New York City when the uh, Twin Towers came down. And they are going to be there to speak out against this tour this that is funded by Saudi Arabia. And if you remember, all but two of the uh, terrorists that crashed the planes on that day were all from Saudi Arabia. And... So a bunch of, of people, some of them were, were young children when their parents were lost in the in the World Trade Center, uh, and they are going to be there. And they say, look, we are going to make sure these people understand that anybody uh, that chooses to play on this tournament or in this, this tour, they should have to listen to these family members. They should have to look us in the eye and explain why they're taking Saudi Arabian money. You know, we want to, you know, we want to be able to educate the golfers on what we know about the Saudi role on 9-11. Which, you know, look, uh, good for them. I mean, that is certainly their right. Here's the problem. These golfers don't give a crap. These, these golfers give a crap about one thing. Their bottom line. What their bank account looks like. The reason that they're all on this tour is because of the ridiculous amounts of money, some of them getting millions and millions of dollars just to even join the tour. I mean, this is a tour where it's uh, there are no, no cuts, right? You play uh, 54 holes, so it's only, uh, it's only three rounds, by the way. No cut, and even the person who finishes last gets 120 grand. You know, and you've got some of the biggest names in golf, guys like Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau, those guys uh, all getting in bed with these people. And, you know, you got a, you got an idiot like Brooks Kepka, you know, stepping up saying, you know, they're allowed to have their opinions. We've heard it. 
But our only job is to go play golf, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to grow the game of golf. No, you're not. You're trying to grow your bank account. If you're trying to grow the game of golf, you would have done it uh, within the PGA Tour. Um, you know, so you can't have it both ways. You know what I mean? You can't say, uh, I just want to play golf, but then get into bed with people that sponsor international terrorism and say, well, that doesn't really matter. No, it does. And I guess... I guess if you ha- if your conscience will allow you to do that, God bless you. It's a, it's a you know look. It's a free country. It's a free world. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. Just understand. Just like I always told my kids when they were growing up. Just understand there are consequences for your actions. And these guys probably don't care as long as their bank accounts grow. They don't give a damn. But to me. Every one of these golfers that has joined this tour has tarnished their reputations and is, has tarnished their legacies to the degree where they are willing to get into bed with terrorism. And I don't think that's an, folks, I don't think that's an understatement or I mean an overstatement. I don't think you can say I'm making too much out of this. I mean, this is the documented human rights abuses, documented terrorism uh, sponsorship. I mean, it's not. This is not a stretch. So there are consequences. And if you know what, if the amount of money that goes into your bank account makes you feel okay and makes you get past that, God bless you. But don't you dare, any of you golfers, don't you dare go to this tournament and get into uh, any kind of a contentious argument or a conversation with people uh, that lost loved ones during 9/11. If they want to, if they want to, uh, you know, give you a hard time for getting into bed with these people, if they want to try to educate you, listen. It may not change your opinion, but don't you dare go after any of these people because you have you don't have that right. And just understand that this is one of the consequences for your desire to make more money. So uh, it's the only event this year in the United States for this tour. So we probably won't see it. I mean, we may see it in other countries, but it's the only time we'll see it here in the United States. And uh, I guess, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say I'm happy that they're going to do this, but I certainly understand why anybody who lost a loved one during 9-11 would be uh, incensed and want to go and, and speak against this tour. So I just hope these, these golfers are smart enough to keep their mouth shut. You know, and if, if you know you want to just go play golf, go play golf, keep your mouth shut, and take your medicine. That's it. It's as simple as that. Shut up take your medicine. Because this is what you asked for by getting into bed with these people. Uh, so that's that's uh, it has the potential to get ugly. You know, I hope it doesn't, but it has that potential for sure. Um, the other thing that came out yesterday, uh, Rob Manfred did a uh, uh, there was a long uh, feature story written by a guy by the name of uh, Don Van Netta. Well, I have no idea who he is, but that was published on Wednesday, and it was a a, 
a long interview that he had done with Rob Manfred about a whole bunch of things, including the pace of play, umpiring, uh, all that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the things that uh, came into it is Rob Manfred now says that he thinks uh, he thinks that robot umpires will be introduced in 2024. He thinks it is. He said he says likely. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm dead set against this. You know, um, do umpires miss some calls? Yes, they do miss some balls and strikes. But we now know, for the most part, any other call they miss, like, you know, safer out or any of the other stuff, is, you know, all being reviewed anyway. Um, and how many times and, and balls and strikes that they miss, how much does it make that big a difference in a game? You know, people will, would say yes. I'm not sure that it is. Uh, the st- statistics I saw uh, were that umpires miss an average of 14 balls and strikes calls every game. Now, think about this for a second. That's probably less then 5%. So they're right, say, 95 to 97% of the time. It's pretty damn good. And we have already seen that the robot umpires have issues with getting it right, especially on breaking balls. Uh, they tried it during last year's uh, Arizona Fall League, and it was a disaster. They've been using it in the minor leagues with mixed results. You know, and he says he thinks that by waiting until 2024, they'll have time to work the kinks out. They're coming out. They're they're tinkering with the idea of perhaps uh, giving managers challenges to balls and strikes calls. I, I just I don't like it. I just don't. You know, I mean, look, I'm all in favor of some of the others. The pitch clock, I'm all in favor of because the the pace of play has become ridiculous, and the way guys pimp on the mound and pimp in the batter's box, and you know, adjust every piece of equipment they have and taking 87 days to get back in the box, you know, or, or to get on the mound and throw a pitch, I'm, all, I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, in the old days, you know, and again, I, hate, I always hate saying that, the old days. But look, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, guys just got the ball and they threw the ball, right? You just, you got the ball back, you got the sign, you threw the next pitch. We didn't have all this crap that's going on now. It's ridiculous. You know, it started getting bad in the 90s, and it has gotten progressively worse. So I'm okay with that. I'm even okay with some of the replay. I think we go a little bit overboard with the replay, but I'm okay with some of that. You know, um, banning the shift thing, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings on it, but at the same time, I I think by and large I'm in favor of it because they have taken it to the nth degree way, way too far. But I'm against the the, uh, robot umps. I've said that before, and I'll say it again. Uh, Rob Manfred also in this interview uh, took umbrage with the fact that people think th- that he hates baseball. Oh, it's farther, farthest thing from the truth. Yeah. Look, here's the problem, Rob, is that it comes out that you hate baseball because you make these arbitrary decisions. You don't really think it through. You're just looking at the bottom line. And look, his job is to make money for Major League Baseball and to make money for the, umpi- uh, for the, um, the owners. And sometimes when you're trying to make money, it's not it doesn't come across as being good for the game. Some of the things that you're trying to do and, you know, some of the ways that that uh, some of the financial decisions they're trying to make and taking money out of players pockets. And, you know, I, I know it's monopoly money. I know it's hard to, to wrap your head around the kind of money these guys make now. But at the end of the day, some of the stuff that this guy does makes it look like he doesn't like the game. 
Like he's just about money. Like he's just like one of these golfers that joined that new tour because he wants his bottom line increased. That's what I. That's what it looks like. So he can take all the umbrage he wants. Um, but you know, perception is important in anything. If it's perceived, I mean, there's there's reason for that. You know, it's the old if there's smoke, there's fire thing. It just to me, it just. It, he can say whatever he wants, but he's he's in my mind. Um, and I he he makes he makes Bud Selig look like the greatest commissioner in the history of baseball, and I wasn't a big Bud Selig fan. You know, the problem is is that the role of the commissioner has changed. The role of the commissioner is no longer the way it used to be, where it was about the the good of the game and policing the game and making sure things were done the right way. You know, the days of Bowie Kuhn and. Uh, you know, guys like that before, and those are long gone. Now that the role has changed so much that it's just about money and doing what the owners want, being the owner's butt boy. And so, you know, Rob Manfred, you know, I think he's been an awful commissioner. The problem is he's probably not going to be the last awful commissioner because un- unless something happens where uh, Congress, you know, takes away the antitrust uh, exemptions and all these other things from Major League Baseball, there's no incentive for Rob Manfred and the owners to change the way that they do business. So, yeah, anyway. All right, let's get to what the stuff on the field. That's enough of the, uh, the pontificating this morning. Uh, the Red Sox win last night. Barely. <laughs> Barely. But uh, the Red Sox uh, managed to hang on to beat the Toronto Blue Jays 6-5 so they don't get swept in that series. Um, look, that's huge. I don't want to overstate it, but the fact that they have struggled so badly against the American League East, they still lose the series, but they've got to get some positives going, right? They've got to find something positive to build on when you're playing American League East opponents because they've had damn little. And, look, uh, you know, was it pretty? No. I mean, they had opportunities to win this game. The bullpen blew it again. Because Tanner Houck wasn't there, Alex Cora was forced to use Matt Strom for two innings. Matt Strom was great for one inning. And then he immediately got into trouble in the second inning because you're asking a guy to do something that he wouldn't ordinarily do. Why? Because you don't have your full complement of players. And I'm not going to beat this to death. You know, I, I went off on, on Tanner Houck yesterday. You know, we already we already know what the deal is. But you ask him to come in and pitch the ninth. He does a great job of doing that. But then you ask him to come back out and pitch the tenth, and it was damn near a disaster. You know, and with George Springer up, I thought it was going to be a disaster. But fortunately, he got Springer to, to pop out to the outfield and, or to second baseman, and that was over. But again, you know, this Red Sox bullpen is a mess, which is why uh, Garrett Whitlock threw a bullpen session before the game yesterday, his second one in three days. Uh, he is very close to coming back, and I'm telling you right now, he's coming back as a reliever. They asked Alex Cora about it yesterday, uh, and, uh, you know, they said that they're talking about it. Garrett Whitlock always says the right things. He doesn't care. He said, I'd rather have dual, you know, multiple roles than no role. Uh, but I, you know, 
they think that perhaps with uh, the hip issue and everything going on, that it would be probably less stressful on him to come back as a reliever. Doesn't mean the door is closed forever on him being a starter, but for now, uh, it looks like he's going to be a reliever, and I think that's exactly what this bullpen needs. You know, now if you've got Hauk and you've got, and again, I'd rather see them trade Hauk, but if you've got Hauk and you've got Whitlock on the back end and what Shriver has done, uh, you know, that's my, you know, my back three, my seven, eight, nine. If if right now I got Shriver, Hauk, and, and Whitlock, I'm feeling pretty damn good about it. Or, you know, and throw Strom in there against lefties, whatever it takes. But uh, I, I think he's coming back. But, look, the Red Sox had some opportunities to win this game, you know, in in uh, in nine. They couldn't get it done. They take the 6-3 lead. J.D. Martinez gets drilled in the back with the bases loaded in the 10th inning. What a brutal – Phelps comes out of the bullpen, and he'd been pretty good. And he proceeds to uh, walk two guys to load the bases and then plunks J.D. right between the two and the eight. And then Alex Verdugo, who had a great game yesterday with a, a double that scores two runs. The Red Sox have a 6-3 lead, and you're like, oh, thank God, I can breathe. Yeah, well, until the <laughs> until the bottom of the inning came, and you know he gets the first couple of guys, and it's looking good, and then all of a sudden, bang, 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 and they're you know they're hitting shots off of them. But fortunately, he got through it. But this game was won by Franchi Cordero and Alex Verdugo. Cordero had four hits. It was four for five. Verdugo had four runs batted in, including a two-run bomb. Those two guys accounted uh, for six of the eight hits the Red Sox had. The only other hits, Bogarts had one, and Christian Vasquez had one. Other than that, the Red Sox bats were silent. You know, and there was a uh, uh, a brutal mo- in the ninth inning. You know, the Red Sox looked like they had an opportunity to win this game in the ninth, or at least take the lead in the ninth, right? Um, and they get runners on the corners, and what happens? They bring up Bobby Dahlbeck as a pinch hitter and Jackie Bradley Jr., the number nine hitter, and shockingly enough, they strike out. You know, a big spot, and you've got two guys that, you know, right now are, and not just right now, all season have struggled. I'm at a point now, you know, and I love Jackie Bradley Jr. I love his defense. But Jackie Bradley Jr. is hitting 207. And, I, you know, we, oh, Red Sox fans always remember that this is a guy capable of carrying this team. He's done it before. But he's hitting 207 with an OPS of 555. And it's June 30th. Bobby Dahlbeck, and I know the great finish he had last year, but he's hitting 205. He's got an OPS of 617. You get to a point now with Franchi Cordero hitting the ball the way he is. He's been better and better and better. He's got his batting average all the way up to 252. You almost have to start playing him every day. You know, you have to consider when Jaron Duran comes back for the next series, the Jackie Bradley Jr. has got to sit. Jaron Duran has got to play every day. You know, and maybe maybe Rob Refsnyder has to play every day too. You know, I don't know. I mean, Rob Refsnyder has been great for the Red Sox as he came up. He was 0 for 3 last night, but he had a sacrifice fly. He's hitting 341. 
you know, it might be time that the Bobby Dahlback and Jackie Bradley Jr. time is over and they end up becoming, you know, defensive replacements or whatever. Um, you know, Jackie's a great guy to bring in in the, uh, the late innings as a defensive replacement. But, man, you know, having a guy up in big spots like that, you know, he and Dahlbeck was killer. The Red Sox were 1-for-11 with runners in scoring position last night. 1-for-11. They were 3-for-25 with runners in scoring position in this series. That's brutal. Brutal. The Jays, by the way, were 5-for-15 with runners in scoring position. So, you know, it, you know, you can't continue to have that. Look, Nick Pavetta was good last night. Six innings, five hits, couple of runs. Struck out five. It was almost a, a, a brawl in this game, which was just stupid. Pavetta, you know, <laughs> Pavetta hits a guy. You know, and the bench is clear. He hits, he hits the catcher, Kirk. Look, now I know Kirk's been great. But there's no way Nick Pavetta's trying to hit Kirk. There's no first of all, there's no history between these two teams with this with this stuff. At least not this season. Pavetta doesn't hit a lot of guys. The pitch just got away from him. You know, he's like, well, you know, he's like, and and all of a sudden the Jays are coming out onto the field like they want to fight. Nick Pavetta's pissed. He's like, get a, get out of here with this crap. You know what? He said, I don't hit a lot of guys. He said the way they acted was unwarranted. It's just ridiculous. And it was. But good for him. You know, he then comes back out and he strikes out Ramel Tapia to leave the bases loaded. But, you know, I mean, it. look, the number of hit batters in Major League Baseball has gone up year after year after year after year. Why? Because guys are throwing a million miles an hour and they have no damn idea where the ball's going. Not to mention the fact now, uh, you know, the last couple of years taking away uh, the the sticky stuff so the, the pitchers don't have the grip that they used to have, and they say these balls are, are slicker than they've ever been. This is going to happen. But we keep seeing these brawls after hit batters. Look what happened in the, uh, you know, uh, was it the Cardinal game in, uh, or, or Seattle game when, you know, 11 guys end up getting suspended because we, we lose our minds when somebody gets hit. It's one thing if it's intentional, you know, if it's, especially if it's intentional and you're throwing it at somebody's head. But what happened with Pavetta yesterday was just, look, pitch got away. It happens. It's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, last thing on the Sox, um, uh, Alex Cora talking to reporters yesterday. I, I like what, you know, I get annoyed by the whole vaccination thing, but I like the way he handled it. He said, look, I don't want to get into uh, the whole who's vaccinated, who's here, who's not here. He said, look, at the end of the day, this team that we're playing is a great example. He said they didn't make excuses last year when they had to play in Dunedin, Buffalo, and Toronto. Right? They didn't have a home field. They had to play in three different places for home games last year. He said, he says, so I'm not going to make excuses. You give me the 26, we'll, we'll do our best to give 27 outs and win. He said, it's not perfect. We all know that. But at the end of the day, it's what it is, and we're going to keep moving forward. I mean, he got and – and look, he had said some things the day before. He got into some heated arguments with a couple of reporters and said some things he regretted. He apologized to them yesterday for some of the things he said. But, look, you can guarantee that he's tired of talking about this. But one thing he did say yesterday, he said, uh, he said, I believe when we come to Toronto in September, it's going to be different. He said, let's leave it at that. I bet you a dollar 
it's going to change. Basically saying he believes that at least uh, one or two of these guys that are not vaccinated are going to be vaccinated before that uh, uh, series in September, which might lead me to believe that one of them or, you know, or a couple of them have already gotten vaccinated, but they hadn't done it soon enough to be eligible to play up in Toronto. It'll be interesting to hear what we hear about that. But look, it's got to be that way. They, if you want to be, as I said yesterday, if you want to be a part of this team and that last series of the season is in Toronto, and if it means your playoff lives, you damn well better have all the guns or all the bullets in the gun that you need. Chris Sale, Jaron Duran, if he's still on the team, uh, you know, uh, Tanner Houck, you got to have all your people. You cannot have somebody saying, well, it's my, my personal choice. Well, you know, if it's your personal choice, personal choice, your ass out of baseball. 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. So the Red Sox, uh, with the victory yesterday, they get a half a game ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays again, back into second place in the American League East. Um, again, doesn't really make any difference uh, how far ahead the Yankees are because they're going to stay uh, ahead of the Red Sox. They win again yesterday. They complete the sweep of the worst team in Major League Baseball, the Oakland Athletics. Uh, they win this one 5-3. to three. You know, what's interesting about the Yankees, and, and look, there's no doubt that uh, their start is incredible, 56-20, and 20, uh, which uh, matches the 2001 Mariners for the best 76-game start since 1930. But what's amazing about this uh, Oakland scored three runs in the first inning. The Yankees had to come back to win this game. Of their 56 victories, 24 of them this year, 24 are come from behind victories. So, you know, I mean, you just, I mean, you look at that lineup and you go, you know, holy crap, you know, of course, but um, it's pretty impressive. 24 times this season. They have been behind in a game and come back to win it. And guess who helped them do that yesterday? Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton. No surprise there. Aaron Judge, uh, in a home run in the first inning, his 29th of the season. And again, the thing about Judge, which has been amazing, is that, you know, a lot of times guys will put up these huge home run numbers, right? But they're kind of, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure the right way to put it. But they're, they're kind of like fake home runs where, you know, I mean, they're home runs. But they come when the game doesn't matter, right? You know, you just it's, it's kind of an add-on kind of thing. What's been amazing about Judge is that he keeps hitting these home runs in huge spots. His last five home runs alone, his last five, have come with this team either trailing or tied. So he's got a flair uh, to come up in the big spot. John Carlos Stanton, his 19th of the season, a three-run shot in the third inning, gave the Yankees the lead. Matter of fact, that was the last of the scoring for the game. It was 5-3 at the end of the third, and that's how it ended. Jamison Tyon, who gave up those three runs in the first inning, settled down after that, goes five, picks up his ninth win of the season. And then Litke comes out of the bullpen, 
two scoreless innings. Castro, a scoreless inning. And then Clay Holmes, his 14th save of the season, lowers his ERA to 0.49 with Araldus Chapman coming back uh, to the Yankees, probably going to be activated uh, Friday. Hasn't pitched since May 22nd, and you found a closer uh, that's been uh, as good as Aroldis Chapman was in his prime. So, uh, just, you know, again, they just continue to keep rolling, uh, and uh, the athletics fall to 25 and 52. Uh, the Yankees' next game will be uh, today. It's a one game series, it's a game that was um, canceled originally. Uh, when the lockout started at the beginning of the season. So they are going to Houston to play one game in Houston. Uh, and then they will start a series in Cleveland on Friday. But Luis Severino uh, will pitch for the Yankees today. He'll take on Luis Garcia from the Astros. Uh, this is kind of a uh, technically uh, a rubber match, I guess, um, when uh, the, the, these two teams played uh, – uh, split a four-game series in the Bronx last weekend. And now uh, they'll have this one game here in Houston. And uh, Severino will be looking to put the Yankees, uh, given their 57th victory of the season. Uh, just It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, and then the A's, who cares, right? I mean, I don't, who cares who they play next because they're just going to lose. It just, it's, just, it's just gross. Uh, so, and then uh, the Astros, who they will play tonight, the Astros – just finished sweeping the Mets. They beat the Mets last night, two to nothing. Justin Verlander, who missed uh, last season due to Tommy John surgery, has come back and picked up his tenth victory of the season last night. Throws eight innings, allows just two hits, strikes out six, walks one, lowers his ERA to two point oh three. First ten game winner in the major leagues, is a 39-year-old guy coming off of Tommy John surgery. Unbelievable. Ryan Presley picked up his 16th save last night. Taiwan Walker pitched great for the Mets. Pitched into the eighth inning for the first time this season. Seven and a third, four hits. Struck out three, walked two. Uh, but they got to, uh, to Smith, did Houston, in the ninth inning. Picked up a couple of runs. And uh, Houston ends up winning this thing. Kyle Tucker, uh, single to lead up the ninth. And then Drew Smith uh, uh, faced Castro, who started the day hitting uh, uh, 095. Homered on a, uh, a, a fastball right down the middle of the plate. And game over. Mets fall to 47 and 29. The Astros now 47 and 27. Uh, Houston now with a 11-game lead in the American League. You know, think about this. You know, you look at the American League, and it's kind of it's brutal. With the exception of the American League Central, these races are over. Houston leads in the AOS by 11, and the, the Yankees lead by 13. You know, uh, thank God for the National League. The National League is, go is going to be the, the league to watch this summer because every one of those races is tight. With the Mets' loss yesterday, uh, they are now just three games um, ahead of the uh, Atlanta Braves. Now, the Mets have a chance to maybe get healthy a little bit. They have to play the Texas Rangers uh, three-game series this weekend, uh, and it's at home. They need uh, to get things. They're, look, they're, the Mets are playing basically 500 baseball. 
They've lost three in a row, and Atlanta is doing ridiculous things. Uh, the good news for the Mets, um, Max Scherzer is close to coming back. Scherzer pitched another rehab game yesterday. He pitched against the uh, Hartford Yard Goats. And, uh, you know, look, I guess mixed results. He pitched four and two-thirds innings. He gave up three runs, two of them earned, but he struck out eight. Only gave up four hits. So, uh, you know, uh, but he said he felt good. Uh, he threw 65 pitches for Binghamton uh, last week. Uh, and uh, he is probably close to coming back. Probably one more rehab start, and then Max Scherzer is back in the rotation for the Mets. And the other good news they got yesterday was that Jacob Degrom uh, threw to some hitters in uh, Port St. Lucie and may begin a rehab assignment coming up here in a week or so. He threw 27 pitches. Said he felt good. Uh, Buck Showalter yesterday said that uh, they're going to wait and see how he feels today, and if, if all is going well, it looks like he could be heading for a rehab assignment. So this Mets team, all of a sudden, uh, if you get him back and you get Scherzer back, you know, all of a sudden you've got the best pitching staff on paper. You probably have the best starting staff in baseball, top to bottom. So getting close, getting close. Um, what a finish yesterday between uh, Cleveland – and the Twins. I had this game. I had this game on. I have the Major League Baseball package, um, uh, so I was watching. I had the Red Sox game on, and I had the Twins Guardians game on my computer. So I was watching that. Well, Cleveland is behind three to one, uh, or, or excuse me, they tie it up, and, and it goes into extra innings. And then the Twins scored three runs in the top of the 10th inning. And to take a 6-3 lead, I turned it off. I said, oh, this one's over. Cleveland's done. <laughs> well, wrong. Cleveland scores four runs in the bottom of the 10th. And I, I guess I should have known better after what the Red Sox did. But Josh Naylor with a two-run homer with two outs in the 10th inning uh, to cap a four-run rally. And the Cleveland Guardians uh, come back to beat the Minnesota Twins. Seven to six, Cleveland now just two games back of the Twins. They needed that one uh, desperately. Uh, that's just one of those games. And what I loved about this after the game, Naylor was interviewed, and you know, how, like a lot of times, you, you guys will say, "Well, you know, I was just I was just looking for a pitch to hit. I was looking, you know, just just to drive the ball somewhere, right?" No, Naylor. After I love this, he gets interviewed and he says, "I just tried to hit a homer." He said, I was trying to end the game. I didn't want to hit a single. I wanted to end it. I just wanted to win. I love it. How often do you hear a guy say, I was trying to hit it out? Even if they were trying to hit it out, guys will never admit that. So the fact that Naylor did that, I love it. Oh, and the best part was I saw, I saw the, uh, the highlight this morning. So he hits the home run. He comes over and he hugs his manager, Terry Francona, and headbutts him. <laughs> oh, I love this guy. This guy's now one of my uh, one of my favorite favorite guys. Cal Quantrill pitched well for Cleveland. Went through eight innings, gave up eight hits, just three runs. Um, but when it went into extra innings, uh, uh, they end up uh, the win goes to Morgan, even though he didn't pitch well in his one inning of relief. Uh, and uh, Jarrell Cotton takes the loss for the uh, Minnesota Twins uh, in that game last night. But I love that. That was absolutely wonderful. So now the uh, Twins. Um, We'll finish off the series against Cleveland tonight. It'll be Chris Archer uh, 
who was two and three with a three one four ERA, taking on Shane Bieber. Uh, Bieber, who lost for the first time since May twenty second, his last start. Uh, even though he pitched well, he gave up uh, three runs over seven innings against the Red Sox. But uh, uh, in his last six outings, he's two and one with a two five two ERA. So uh, that will be the finale of that series today. It is 45 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call, 46 minutes past the hour. Uh, one other American League game I just want to touch on briefly. Um, uh, the Angels beat the White Sox last night 4-1. to one. Um, White Sox now uh, four games under 500, still six back of Minnesota. Not out of it yet, but... Uh, uh, and the Angels trying to uh, – they finish off a, a homestand where they finished under 500 in the homestand, uh, four games under 500 as well. But the big difference, they're 12 back uh, of Houston. But the uh, significance in this game, Shohei Otani. Look, I don't know if he's going to win the MVP again after winning it last year, but uh, he's certainly making a case. You know, he's not he's not tearing the cover off the ball offensively. He's only hitting about 260. Uh, but boy, it seems like his pitching has really taken the next step this year. Five and two thirds innings, uh, no runs, five hits. He struck out 11, walked just one. He has now, uh, pitched 21 and two thirds consecutive scoreless innings. Fastball touched 101 miles an hour. I mean, it's unbelievable what this guy, how talented this guy is, you know, and, and I was, you know, one of those that kind of. You know, when he was coming, everybody was like, ah, you know, uh, he's the greatest thing since Babe Ruth. I think we need to, you know, we need to calm down with that a little bit. Uh, look at Babe Ruth's numbers sometime, folks. Um, you know, the one thing, the one, the one thing I will give Otani is that he's pitching and hitting um, at the same time. He's doing something that Babe Ruth really didn't do. Babe Ruth was a pitcher uh, and then would play the field occasionally. Uh, and then he became, and then he stopped pitching and became strictly an outfielder. Otani's doing both, uh, so I'll give him that. Uh, but his numbers, you know, in terms of his offensive numbers, et cetera, it, look up Babe Ruth's numbers sometime. You know, Otani is not do, doesn't have the Babe Ruth uh, gaudy statistics. However, uh, you know, he is doing some uh, some pretty. Pretty good things. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. Kevin Yeager just checked in, checked in on Facebook. Thanks, Kevin. Kevin, an old friend of mine from uh, Franklin Pierce College. Now it's Franklin Pierce University, but uh, uh, good to have Kevin on with us. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know if Otani's going to win it again. I was kind of against him winning it last year because I thought Vlad Jr. had a great year. Uh, but, again, you know, people are wowed by the whole pitching and hitting thing. And you know what? You throw 21 and two-thirds scoreless innings, it's, it is kind of impressive. Um the White Sox will take on San Francisco. Uh, Lance Lynn will get back on the mound. Lynn has uh, struggled a little bit since coming back off that injury that he had uh, in preseason. So uh, the White Sox desperately, desperately need him to get things going. Uh, over in the National League, I mentioned the fact that the Braves are only three games behind the Mets now. Well, that's because they won again last night. They beat the Philadelphia Phillies 4 to 1. The Braves are 21 and 5 in June. 21 and 5. That matches the team record for most wins in any month uh, since they moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta in 1966. Uh, they will set that mark. They have a game today. If they win 
against the Phillies. If they complete the sweep tonight, they will be 22-5 and five and set a new club record. That, look, that's just amazing. There's no, uh, there's no other way to put it. Um, Adam Duvall with a home run last night. Kyle Wright, who had really struggled his last couple of outings, seven innings last night, just three hits and a run. Uh, lowered his ERA to 3.03, picked up his ninth win of the season. Uh, Will Smith closing for Kenley Jansen, who was on the injured list with the, the heart issue. Uh, again, got to hope that uh, he is going to be okay. Uh, but he picked up his third save of the season with a perfect ninth inning. Ranger Suarez got the start for Philly was a little bit better than he has been recently, but gives, still gives up four runs in six and two-thirds. Uh, the, the other notable thing in this game last night, Mark Appel, who was drafted by the Houston Astros as the number one pick overall back in 2013, made his major league debut last night. He is the oldest number one overall draft pick to ever make his debut. He's damn near 31 years old. I think he's 30 years in like 279 days or something like that. It was it's, uh, But he pitched a scoreless inning. He pitched a scoreless ninth for the Phillies. He did give up a hit, but he also struck out a batter. But uh, great moment for him. Look, this is a guy that... Uh, really struggled in the minors, was actually released at one point, signed on with somebody else, actually quit the game, I think, in 2018 for a few years, uh, started making a comeback last year, and now here he is with the Phillies, finally making his major league debut uh, and pitches a scoreless inning. So uh, good for him. So as the Braves try to finish off things today, Ian Anderson, uh, who was 6-4 with a 4-6-0, will take on Aaron Nola. Nola's got a losing record, but he's got an ERA of under three. Uh, so uh, this is one that, uh, look, the Phillies are trying to find a way to hold serve somehow until Bryce Harper comes back. They had surgery on Harper's thumb yesterday. It was successful, but there's no timetable for his return. Uh, you know, estimates are at least six weeks. And Philly right now finds themselves at 39 and 37, just two games over 500. Um, right now, out of the wild card race, but they're only like a game behind uh, or a couple of games behind the last wild card spot. So they need to find a way to hold serve. And they've got enough offense on this team that they can get it done. It's just a matter of whether uh, they'll have enough pitching. I mean, they're going to have to rely heavily on guys like Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, and they need Ranger Suarez to pick things up a little bit. But uh, but if, uh, if the Braves can finish things off today uh, and, and have 22 wins in the month of June, it's just it's mind-boggling. Uh, other games in the National League yesterday, Mike Clevenger. Clevenger, of course, who went over to the Padres from the, uh, at the time, Cleveland Indians, uh, had his best uh, game since coming off of Tommy John surgery. He went into the sixth inning for the first time this season, threw six shutout innings, allowed just one hit, struck out six, walked one. It, this was the Clevenger that you're used to seeing uh, when he was with Cleveland. Uh, he was great. And then uh, he outdueled Madison Bumgarner. Bumgarner only pitched five innings, but only gave up one, one run on four hits. Um, but uh, the uh, Padres win this one, four to nothing. Pick up their 46th win of the season. They are a game and a half behind the Dodgers because the Dodgers managed to beat the Colorado Rockies last night. They look; they've struggled against the Rockies. There's no question about that. They were the Rockies were four and one against the Dodgers before last night. But Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Cody Bellinger, all with home runs. Uh, and uh, Urias pitched uh, into the sixth inning and picked up his sixth win of the season. And they did a great job, the bullpen did, of uh, closing this one out. A little bit of a, uh, a downside for the, uh, the Rockies. Herman Marquez, 
uh, all-star pitcher had to leave the game uh, with a cut on his thumb. Every I guess every pitch he threw, it was killing him, and it was getting worse, so they had to get him out. They don't think it's anything serious. It's just going to, you know, he may have to miss a start uh, while this thing uh, heals. But, uh, uh you know the way the way that the Dodgers hit the ball last night wasn't going to make a whole hell of a lot of difference. So Marquez, uh, but they, he should be okay. But the Dodgers now a game and a half ahead um, of the uh, San Diego Padres. By the way, one other quick thing on on the Dodgers. How about this this mess with Freddie Freeman? He fired his his uh, his agent, and word has come down that the reason that he fired his agent is he found out when he went back to Atlanta and they had that nice ceremony for him and, uh, uh, you know, he was in tears addressing the crowd about how much he loved it there and everything. Well, come to find out, I guess when he spoke to some Braves officials there, they said, hey, look, uh, we actually offered you more money than the Dodgers. And it seems as though his agent did not relay that to him and he ended up signing with Los Angeles. And at the end of the day, when you look at the tax structure in California versus the taxes in Georgia and everything else, he actually ended up <laughs> taking less money by a significant significant amount to sign uh, with the Dodgers because he got bad information from his agent. So uh, he didn't want to talk about it. But, uh, you know, once you fire your agent publicly, uh, it's kind of hard to hide that. So what a mess. What a mess. And, you know, here's the problem. And this is, I've said this all along. I never understood this. These players hire these agents, and sometimes they allow the agents to have too much latitude. The agents are supposed to be working for the player. You know, and a lot of times these agents have other uh, agendas, you know, and they're about trying to increase their visibility so that they can get more clients and they get more money, you know. And so sometimes I think that the, uh, the whole uh, – player agent thing is skewed and uh, you know it's good to see freddie freeman when he found out this if this if this truly is the case if that's why he did it it's good to see a guy step up and say oh no no you're out of here you know we've seen a couple of cases where players have actually gone to their agent and say look this is who i want to sign with make it happen you know there needs to be more of that you know uh, you know, got, you know, these guys like, and, and I'm not saying Scott Boros did it, but don't get me wrong. I don't need to get sued. I'm not saying Scott Boros has done stuff like this all, but, but, you know, Scott Boros runs around and, you know, he never saw a microphone he didn't like. And sometimes I think, uh, uh, people forget that it's the agents that work for the players, not the players who work for the agents. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the wake up call. We leave you this morning with a little music from Delbert McClinton. Guy was a friend of my old, uh, my old uh, favorite radio broadcaster, Don Imus, used to have Delbert on all the time. So here's the uh, same kind of crazy as me. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.